Welcome in to a very special edition of a new media broadcaster's podcast. I'm Josh Margolis. On Friday, February 25th, U.S. Senator John Tester visited Haver. At 9 a.m., he met at Bear Paw Development with officials from Hill County and Haver to discuss a variety of topics. An hour after the meeting concluded, Tester visited the new media broadcaster's station's office for a lengthy interview. And we started off our discussion by talking about the issues that were brought up at the meeting. About water infrastructure and road infrastructure and uh, the recovery plan money uh, that, that has been going out and, and their ability to utilize it and the states, uh, uh, you know, getting the state to release some of that money for for uh, sewer and water and, and roads, um, uh, really important. Uh, we talked a little bit about housing uh, because it's such a huge issue all over the country and, and it certainly is a huge issue here in, in, in Haver. And then we talked a little bit about workforce about uh, about uh, uh, getting the contractors to be able to do the infrastructure work that's there and some options that may revolve around uh, if those contractors aren't available. And one issue that was actually pretty in-depth was dis- discussed was the uh, CDL issue. Yeah. It sounds like there is or there's going to be a new requirement. Yeah. That could be costly, especially for a rural town here like Haver. Yeah, yeah for sure. And uh, it's a new rule coming out of Washington, D.C., and we've... Uh, we, we really were going to try to do some influence on the Department of Transportation Secretary Buttigieg, and we'll be giving him a call next week and see if we can uh, get him to uh, to back off. Look, safety is really, really important, but I've always felt the school districts need to be run by school boards and administrators at the local level. And uh, I can tell you when I was on a school board, if we had a driver that wasn't doing the job, wasn't able to drive the bus up to the level that needed to happen, whether he had a CDL or not, or she had a CDL or not, uh, they'd be removed from that job. So I think that uh, we'll leave it up to uh, to the uh, the school boards. We've, we've had requirements for CDLs for many, many, many years, but the requirement to go off to certain schools uh, that takes weeks at a time to get done is uh, uh, baffles me a bit, But uh, but we'll jump on it. Uh, and uh, and see if we can uh, give some folks some uh, some slack on that. And another issue that was discussed was ARPA funds. Uh, two main points from that was one, in terms of the, the deadline to allocate the money, I believe, by the end of 2024. Yeah. It sounds like that might be a little bit malleable. Yeah, well, look, I mean, I think we see deadlines all the time, and depending on how uh, different localities, government entities uh, utilize those dollars depends on whether those deadlines are extended. Um, I certainly don't want to be in a situation where we have a bunch of money out there that local communities are going to lose unless they spend it by a date certain. That usually results in money being wasted. But I think it's way, way, way too early to say, yeah, it's going to be extended at this moment in time. I think we have to see how the different uh, local governments in particular get the money out the door and build the infrastructure. They're doing a great job right now, and I have full belief that they're going to continue to do a great job. We may have to extend it a little in the end, and if we do, uh, we'll make a push to do that, exactly that. And another thing that was mentioned was in terms of the um, um, in terms of the ARPA was that a couple of the, the city and the county, I believe, wanted to know. If, and it sounds like it's not currently in the rules from the treasury that they can purchase equipment. Yeah. with ARPA funds. That's a little different. That's a little different uh, look than than what we've dealt with before, um, and it's a different request. I'll be visiting with a guy by the name of Mitch Landrew, who's overseeing the bipartisan infrastructure bill money go out, because that's that's really where uh, I think the rubber's going to hit the road. And and we'll see. I, I don't know if it's going to be possible, but we're going to certainly broach the subject with him. And in terms of Amtrak, of course, it's been a, a while since there were ticket agents here in Haver, and you even saw the library director here, you know, Rachel Ron, express concerns about people coming into her into 
at the library getting help through the internet from whether it's other people in the library or from staff at the library to, to be able to purchase tickets. I know it was service was cut dramatically. It's been restored for the most part. I think it's five days a week right now. But yeah. what kind of work is is ongoing and from from um, the congressional delegation for in Montana in terms of Amtrak? Well, first of all, it was great to have Rachel there at the meeting this morning. Usually we don't get the librarians to show up, and they're such an important part of the community. It was great to have her here and great to give us feedback on what the library was doing, which is really good work. You know, I I think that in in the end, we've got to make sure that the Empire Builder is here to serve these communities along the High Line in a very positive way. Um, You know, it was a few years ago, it was cut back to three days a week or something. We got it restored full. Now it's at five, mainly because of workforce and Amtrak, but we're going to be pushing them to get their full folks back on board now. Hopefully we have this pandemic behind us and the ridership will continue to increase. As far as the ticket agents go, which is really what the librarian was talking about, uh, I'm going to be talking to Amtrak. I've got, I owe them a phone call anyway uh, to talk to them about the agents that are there, why they can't sell a ticket. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me in this day and age where you can buy a ticket sitting down at your computer, but you can't have an agent do that. I just think it's a, it's a problem that uh, could be pretty easily fixed, and, and we're going to be visiting with them about it. Because, look, I know this from my experience. Uh, computers aren't always user-friendly. And if you're a little bit older, they're really not user-friendly. And so the ability to go in and, and lay down a credit card and buy a ticket is, is really, uh, I think it's important, especially in rural communities. And moving on to agriculture, I know there's, I believe, two things you're working on, and you've kind of talked about in press releases and such in terms of right to repair and meatpacking. Yeah. Uh, wh- where are those at in terms of legislation and how could they help people on the high line? So the, the meatpacking bills that we have, and there's probably five or six of them, everything for special investigators to uh, enforce the Packers and Stockyards Act to uh, a bill on spot pricing for cash prices so that they're not manipulated in the marketplace to mandatory of country of origin labeling to stopping Brazil imports of beef to allowing uh, processors to sell across state lines if they're state inspected processors. All those bills I hope we can get across the finish line but there are two in particular that we're working on that I think we're going to get uh, we're going to get floor action on in the United States Senate hopefully within the next month. That's the spot pricing bill which deals with the cash price of cattle and the special investigator bill which deals with bringing more transparency to uh, these big packers for which control 84% of the meat supply in, in this country. And, and if we can do that, bring more transparency enforce some antitrust rules, I think we can we can get these folks to come to time. And the, the problem here is, is that if you're a customer, uh, meat prices are quite high. And if you're a cow-calf operator or a small or medium-sized feeder, you're going broke while the big packers make record upon record profits. So there's something wrong with that system. And if we lose our cow-calf guys, our uh, food chain is going to be uh, impacted to the negative in a big, big way. Those two bills, I anticipate, hopefully will be taken up on the floor and hopefully passed, uh, you know, before the 1st of June. The other bill, yeah, sorry, keep going. Yeah, the other bill, which deals with right to repair, I just introduced about a, a month ago, and it's a big issue. Uh, both these issues we hear a lot about from the farmers and ranchers, and all it is is, uh, you know, having the manufacturers just give the farmer the software when they buy the equipment so that they can do the basic analysis themselves if their tractor conks out or their baler, or not baler, but their, or their sprayer or their combine. And what this is about is if you're involved in agriculture, everybody knows time is literally money. And if you're sitting there trying to get a crop off the field and your combine shuts down for no apparent good reason, um, being able to run diagnostics with a software package, you can have this thing running in no time short oftentimes. If it isn't and it's a more complex problem, you're still going to get the mechanic out there to do it. 
and you mentioned, you know, you're hoping to take action on this, but you say by June or July, right? The, the right to repair is going to be a little bit longer because, uh, quite honestly, uh, we just introduced it. The other bills have been out for about a year. Uh, this one we just introduced and, uh, we're going to work hard and continue to push for it. Uh, it's going to be, uh, both of them are going to be very difficult because on one hand, the Packers are going to come in and tell us the world's going to end if we make these changes and force the Packers and Stockyards Act, which was passed over a hundred years ago. And on the other one, the manufacturers are going to come in probably through the dealers, by the way, and say, hey, the world's going to end if you do this. This is about allowing production agriculture to make a decent living off the land. And uh, that's my perspective. And I think it's the right perspective. And we're going to work hard to get all, all these pieces of legislation across the finish line, get them to the president's desk, because I think it can make a difference for the economies in rural America. So and I, you said you're hopeful, but it is an election year and you've got a you know, Supreme Court justice nomination process yep. to go over. But you think you can get that done along with yeah. Normal business? Uh, yeah, look, I mean, it's going to be a busy year. And you're right, it's an election year, which tends to make it so people don't want to get any wins here or there. I'm not up. Uh, so I think there's an opportunity to get some of this stuff done. And I'm working with, mainly working with Chuck Grassley on the other side of the aisle. Chuck's been around a long, long time. Uh, he's he, he knows how to get legislation passed, too. So I think it's a it's a good pairing. Hopefully we can we will get them done. And look, you can always throw a monkey wrench into these things. But in the end, if we push hard, I think we'll get her done. And speaking of the Supreme Court nominee, you released a statement this morning said she's got to earn your vote. Yep. What are your, I guess, initial thoughts on the nomination and kind of the process that will unfold? Well, so it's a Supreme Court nomination, lifetime uh, lifetime uh, confirmation. It's it's really an important position. Uh, and, and I will tell you, I, I look forward to bringing her in and questioning her. It's a different position than the circuit court that she's on currently and uh, much more important. And so we're going to bring her in. We're going to question her. We're going to see what her views are on uh, on the Constitution and the Bill of Rights and all those things. And, uh, and uh, if she answers the questions right, she'll earn my vote. If she doesn't, then, of course, she won't. Moving on to the issue of, uh, you know, the Ukraine, the, the invasion of Russia, from, from Russia, of Ukraine, um, what impact could people here on the High Line see? Is it gas prices, other other kind of things? Yeah, it's hard to say, and it's hard to say where this is going to head. We've got a, a dictator in Putin that's... Uh, taken over a democracy, basically, which we should nobody should be happy with. And um, the, the impacts uh, to Europe are going to be felt. The impacts here are going to be felt, I think, but to a lesser extent. The part that is worrisome is, is that, you know, if this escalates and the potential escalation is reasonably high, if this were to escalate, then 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 we've got a whole situation that we haven't seen since World War II. So I think that, um, I think what Putin did was a huge mistake, and anybody who's, uh, who, who, believes in democracy um, should be outraged about this because uh, for no good reason, he just decided to move into a, a neighboring country and take it over. This should not be tolerated in this day and age because you don't know where it's going to stop if it's tolerated here. What kind of actions are, are possible on the U.S. Senate side to, to deal with this? So, I mean, I think from a sanction standpoint, they've been talked about a lot, and the sanctions put on the financial system in Russia have been massive. Uh, none, uh, we haven't seen sanctions like this ever before. I think on the, on the on the military side of things, being able to support Ukraine's military and give them the equipment they need to be successful is the other way we're going to be able to support support Ukraine in their fight against Russia. And um, in terms of the uh, St. Mary's, I know 
part of your bipartisan infrastructure bill that you were one of the lead negotiators on allocated up to $100 million. Uh, I think they got their first allocation pretty recently. What's the status there? Yeah, so they, they got $2.5 million for planning, um, and this is, you know, a, a, a full-scope planning uh, on this uh, on this project. It's a big project. I don't need to tell you guys uh, or your listeners how important this is for the northern tier of Montana. But I think after that the planning gets done, then I think you're going to start to see the monies flow to get shovels in the ground. And I don't think the planning should take all that long. Uh, it is a huge project, but it, but the truth is is that uh, we've been talking about this stuff for a long time now, decades, and it, it's time. And and I think that this project, if it's if it's able to get the entire hundred million dollars, which I anticipate it will, it'll it'll be a game changer for not only the cities and towns along the milk, but the agricultural folks uh, that depend upon that water to irrigate their crops. Is the uh, reinvestment act still on the table as well? I know you, you've introduced it uh, before. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that uh, uh, it, it is on the table, and we're working on that, and uh, we're going to continue to work on that because I think that's an important part that will go along with the $100 million. Let's assume they get the entire $100 million, which I anticipate they will. That still is not going to finish that project. Uh, I think it's about a $225 million project uh, to totally do the full rehabilitation. So the reinvestment act is going to be very important. Just going back to Russia for a moment, and there's been talk, Senator Dane's statement about the invasion mentioned, he thought that the decision by Biden, the Biden administration to kill the Keystone XL pipeline may have I don't, exacerbated kind of the situation. I'm trying to paraphrase there, but yeah. I mean, your thoughts on Keystone XL, is it even possible to restart it at this point? Well, look, I don't think you ever say never, and so I think there's possibilities to restart the Keystone Pipeline, but make no mistake about it, the Keystone Pipeline has nothing to do with Putin's invasion of Ukraine, nothing. And uh, to make that correlation, I think it's a bit irresponsible. Uh, But in the end, uh, I think that there's opportunity here to still do the Keystone Pipeline, but, uh, but, but the bottom line is, is that right now it doesn't look good. Just kind of a similar issue, you know, on the border, um, Dane's also, I think, introduced a bill to, in terms of, um, to remove all vaccine mandates for tru- cross-border truckers. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I think I think the administration should back off their mandates for truckers. I mean, trucking is critically important if we're going to keep the supply chains moving. Uh, I will also tell you that I do not think the truckers should go stop commerce. That has impacts on other businesses that, that they shouldn't be screwing around with. But their their uh, amendments for their their rights under the First Amendment for free speech is is is, is right there, and we need to make sure that make sure that uh, uh, they're heard. And I I really do think that we should back off the the vaccines for the truckers. Um, and, and, and let them continue do the job. And um, in terms of the, the burn pit, um, yeah, can't remember the exact name of the bill, but veterans toxic who, exposure. Yep, yep. Um, that's passed the Senate unanimously, right, by voice vote pretty recently. What are the prospects in the in the House, and how could this help veterans here locally? Yeah, so I'll back up a little bit. A year ago, we introduced the Cost of War Act, which was a comprehensive bill that dealt with toxic exposure, um, and it was totally comprehensive. Dealt with everything from uh, from benefits to uh, a process by which the VA will determine toxic exposure. And by the way, it's been around a while since World War One with mustard gas and radiation, World War Two, Agent Orange in the Vietnam War, and now we have burn pits. We got a bill passed by unanimous consent that it is the first phase of that cost of war act. We had to break it up into three to get it to the floor to get it passed. Um, but we got the first phase done, which was a huge, which is a huge step forward. And what's going to ultimately be good for veterans here is number one, with the bill we just passed, it opened up the window for re-signing up with the VA. That's important because oftentimes issues that revolve around toxic exposure don't happen when you exit the military and they happen 
five or 10 years later. And it's the same thing with mental health stuff. And this isn't just exclusive to toxic exposure. It also applies to any condition that you may have that is, have had the onset on and you've didn't have it when the sign-up period was open. So it opens up that sign-up period, which is a, which is a good thing. And then uh, it, the next phase will will have a determination of how the VA is going to determine what toxic exposure is by following the science. So if you have a lung disorder or a cancer and you were sleeping by a burn pit, is that connection made? And if it is, then then there's healthcare and benefits attached to that. And and in the end, when we get to the last phase, that deals with benefits across the board. That's going to be the toughest one to get past because it's going to cost some money. But it also makes right by the Vietnam vets at Ancient Orange in regards to hypertension and MGUS, and it will make right by the Gulf veterans uh, dealing uh, with the toxic exposure pits moving forward. And it'll allow the VA to do it, and we'll take an act of Congress to do it after we get it passed. And are, have you heard from veterans, you know, locally here that have that would benefit from if these bills passed? Absolutely. I've heard from veterans all over the country, and Montana's no exception, about how they've been impacted by burn pits and it's impacted their ability to breathe or they have onsets of cancer that they didn't think they would normally have if it hadn't been for their service to the country and their exposure to burn pits. And uh, in terms of the economy, there's a lot of talk about rising inflation and gas prices, which sounds like they might continue to increase. What, I mean, where, where do we go from here, I guess, and what should people that are kind of penny pinching right now because of the increased prices do? Yeah, well, I think we got to continue to look at ways to reduce costs for customers, for, for, for working families and businesses. I think the bipartisan infrastructure bill, once we get that implemented, will reduce costs for businesses. And simply in the area of transportation, if roads are full of potholes, if they're rough, it raises heck with your vehicles. They don't last as long. It costs you more money to do business. I think the same thing can be said about the beef bills that we have, increasing transparency on, on, the, on the big packers. Uh, we're seeing meat prices that are quite high. And uh, and quite honestly, I, I think that there needs to be some uh, view into the meatpacking industry to make sure that, that uh, there is competition there and that they aren't determined the price people are going to pay for a pound of hamburger out on a golf course. And so I think that can help. I think the stuff that's being done on prescription drugs can help. The bottom line is this, Josh. Um, you pointed it out earlier. There's a Supreme Court nom up. There's all these issues we're talking about. We just got to find time to do them. My suggestion to leadership is, is look, keep us there on weekends. Let's let's get the job done. I think the American people are dependent on it. And in terms of, you know, a bipartisan infrastructure bill passed, but Build Back Better was kind of put on the shelf. Is that on life support? Is there negotiations still ongoing? Yeah, I think right now it is on the back burner. I think that there will be uh, conversations that happen, negotiations happen uh, probably uh, over the next month of March and April. And then we'll see if, if there can be any kind of an agreement to move forward. Uh, it, it probably is not going to come out in a form that, that was last fall, uh, but, but we'll see where it leads us. Look, I, I think that there's plenty of reasons to address the housing issue. Uh, it's a big issue. Workforce housing is, is a problem all over this country. Haver's not exempted from that. I think there's a problem with the child care issue. There's not enough child care that's affordable in this country. If we can do some things to make child care more affordable, we'll probably get more people back in the workplace. That's another one that can help reduce costs. Um, and the same thing with uh, with things around climate change. Last year alone, we spent $140 billion on disasters, just on disasters. And, and I don't think that included crop insurance, which is also a big ticket item. And we saw the drought that was all over this country, everywhere west of the Mississippi, as a matter of fact. Montana felt the brunt of that. So I, I just think that, that, that uh, you know, move, moving forward, uh, there, there's plenty of things we can do to, to move, move the ball forward. And you mentioned the drought, and I, I spoke with Marco Manuki, and, you know, he's the co-chair of the St. Mary's Working Group, and 
an extension agent over in Phillips County. Um, they're really concerned about the, particularly the, the grasshopper problem because the USDA APHIS forecast does not look good once again. And they, especially in Phillips County, they had crops just completely wiped out by these grasshoppers. And there's no funding right now from APHIS for cost sharing, um, for, for rangeland spraying. So, I mean, how, yeah, how I mean, investors hold on at this point? I mean, it's, it's, it's a huge problem. I mean, this, as of the 1st of May, we'll have completed our 45th year on the farm. It's as dry as I've ever seen it. Incredibly dry. And anytime you have dry conditions, usually hoppers go with it. Uh, and so it really is a climate issue at its root. And I think the, the best thing that the folks in Phillips County or Hill County or Shoto County or Blaine County, pick a county, because they're all going to be impacted, is to make sure that you're talking with your FSA office and make sure you're talking with your elected officials to make sure that they know the challenges that are out there. And just with the drought, what, I mean, is there more financial support that can be had or what, what can be done? Because you can't really change the weather. No, I'm, I mean, look, no, we, we, not immediately at least. Uh, and I think that, that, that what will have to be done is we have to make sure crop insurance is there. And we need to have to make sure that there's cost share programs to help with, with handling with insects. Uh, moving forward, we have to make sure that, that the hail program is there and working. I mean, all those things have an impact. You know, last year we had a drought, probably took two-thirds of most people's crops, and then some of the folks got hit by a hailstorm on top of it. So it doesn't leave a lot to pay the bills when you get done, so you need some government support to have that happen. With the election coming up, you talked about the midterms, but and there's a, there's a concern, you know, as sometimes there is with midterms, that could be a total change, and, you know, Democrats might end up being the minority in the Senate um, come next year. What, what do you think Democrats can do to, to maintain the, the majority and, and kind of keep momentum from uh, two years ago? I think talk about the things that we accomplished this last year and we didn't talk near enough about it, the, whether it's a rescue plan or the bipartisan infrastructure package, making sure that local communities like this, like Haver, like Hill County, have the ability to replace infrastructure that's been on the books for 20, 30, 40 years is no small feat. And we did that. We just didn't talk about it much. And then I think passing some of the bills that I just brought up, you know, from the transparency into the Packers and stockyards to the issues that revolve around prescription drugs uh, to uh, issues that that that, uh, that revolve around toxic exposure for our veterans. Those are just three, but they'd be important things that we get done that would help people. And it, quite frankly, it'd make a difference at the ballot box, I believe. And in terms of, you know, state legislature, all the seats in the House and um a good portion of them in the Senate will be up for election this year. I know you were a former state legislature le legislator. What are, do you do? You plan on helping campaign for candidates or endorsing or, or taking part at all? So look, I'll, I'll help as much as as they need. Uh, I've got I got to make sure they're working. You got to have legislators, uh, legislative candidates that work their work their tail off. If if they're out there working, working hard, I'll support them any way I can. They've got to you know they got to get out, visit with your constituents, understand what the challenges are in your district, and then go to work. And I think that's really the bottom line. And uh, if you have a candidate that's willing to go out there and knock on the doors, not just some. Them, but all of them and connect with people they got a chance of winning and if they don't they don't have a chance of winning and in terms of the state legislature you know a lot of bills with major impacts were had you know last session and i'm sure could be up again in the following session what do you i guess what do you are, are you um in terms of the direction the legislature is going what do you believe should be the the big topics coming up so look i, I think that that uh Investments in public education and, and infrastructure are fundamental to our economy and our democracy. 
and and hopefully they'll they'll really focus on that. I also think that that uh, local school boards and town councils and county commissioners are critically important. I do believe that the government closest to the people are the best people. And when I see the state starting to sweep up powers from uh, those entities, I don't think it's smart. I think we saw a lot of that last legislative session. By the way, I feel the same thing at the federal level. I think the more we can empower state, local, uh, governmental units, the better off we are as a nation. So um, all, all those things, uh, are important. And, and look, there were a lot of distressing things that happened uh, last uh, last legislature. And hopefully there's some folks that saw, uh, saw them and didn't agree with them and uh, are willing to run and, and run on those issues. And I think local control is a, is a big one. Are there, are there any other topics that from the, the legislative session that you think are vitally important? Look, I think we gave the state of Montana um, a lot of money for infrastructure, put people to work to get the economy back on track. Um, there's a lot of that money that's still sitting in Helena. Get it out. Communities need it. I just met with community officials this morning. They'll tell you that they can use money. They can use more of it. They've got projects that are well-thought-out projects, that are well-planned projects, that'll help the people of their community, that'll help their economy grow. And so I think it's important to, that, that we emphasize that when we're talking to our legislators. And anything else you want to add or you want to let the public know before I let you go? I guess how are things going down in Big Sandy when, when you have time Just, down there? You know, if we got a foot of snow or when it warms up an inch of rain, uh, everything would be perfect. And that does it for this special New Media Broadcasters podcast. My thanks to U.S. Senator John Tester for his time. For New Media Broadcasters, I'm Josh Margolis.